Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all. If you are a guest with us today, thanks for joining. My name is uh, Drew, one of the pastors and elders here, and we'll be taking this uh, next section of our service to uh, study and consider and hear and respond to God's Word. So if you have a Bible, please join me in opening to the book of Romans in chapter 15. And if you don't have a Bible, you can find one underneath a seat nearby you, um, and you can find Romans uh, 15 on page 949 in those Bibles. And if you don't own a Bible, um, please take that one with you. We'd love for you to have it um, and read it. We believe this is God's very voice to humanity, and it's the source of joy. Let's pray together. Our Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and we come to you to hear your word and to not merely hear it but to let this enter into the depths of our being. And we have great anticipation that this can happen and will happen because you love to do it. And so we, we ask you to do whatever you need to do in our minds, in our hearts, in our wills, our desires, and out of all of that, our actions. Do whatever you need to do to transform us by the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're continuing in our summer series, which is about overflowing generosity. So we're seeing that God is like a fountain of life and love. He's a generous, self-giving fountain, and He overflows with love and grace to us. And God's generosity, as it comes to us, is intended to transform us so that we begin to be generous as He's generous. We begin to give of ourselves as He's given of Himself. So God's generosity cascades us, we're seeing like a waterfall, and we are at the bottom holding our kitty cups empty, and He is filling those cups and filling with the intention that we overflow toward those around us. So this series is about receiving and extending God's generosity. And so in this series, we're seeing several aspects of God's generosity and how it transforms us. So last week, we considered how we receive and extend God's generous love. And in coming weeks, we'll see how we receive and extend God's service and His wealth and His comfort. And this morning, we're going to see how God extends to us His welcome in Christ. And we receive that and then we extend that to one another. So we're looking at just one verse this morning, Romans chapter 15, verse 7. And it says this, Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. This is a compact statement that gives the heart of what it means to live as a Christian, to be saved and to live as a Christian. It summarizes the doctrine of salvation, summarizes the Christian life together and ethics and our purpose. And it comes in an overlooked but very important part of the Bible. Many people recognize how important the book of Romans is in the Bible uh, for Christian doctrine and living. Well, Romans comes to a culmination in chapter 15. And the heart and center of this culminating section in the book of Romans is verse 7. 
It's, it's at the heart of the culmination of the book of Romans, which is surprising because of how little, in my experience, I've heard this verse talked about in general and particular when we study Romans. In many ways, this summarizes the heart of the book of Romans. Welcome one another summarizes the Christian life and community that we're called to live. As Christ has welcomed you summarizes the doctrine of salvation given in this book. And for the glory of God is the ultimate purpose of all things and of life itself. So this verse gives us a vision of the kind of church that we want to enjoy and give to the world. So if you wonder what what do we want to aspire to as a church? What's our vision as a church? What are we all about as a church? What are we doing here? This is it. We want to receive and extend the welcome of Christ, and we offer this to the world in the power of the Holy Spirit. So we'll just slow down and walk through each of the three phrases here, and why don't we just memorize this at the outset here and then reflect on it together. So, you know, this is the sermon title today. It's my three points are just the three phrases. I'm going to make it really easy for this to just get lodged in our mind. Lord willing, drop into our heart so we can recall this this week and from here on out. So here's what I'll do. I'll just read it out loud, and then you'll join me, and we'll read it out loud together. And then the third time, we'll just say it. And if you can say it without looking at it, great. So it says, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Let's read it out loud together. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And now let's just say it. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. You did great. All right, so that's the outline. So first, welcome one another. Uh, I don't know if we think much of the word welcome. We put it on our doormats for a cheerful greeting and then we wipe our feet on it. I've come to appreciate the word more in light of this verse. The Greek word Paul uses for welcome means to take someone to yourself in this context. It means to receive, to accept someone. So this isn't a passive word. It's not about passively putting up with others, passively tolerating one another's, one another. It's actively receiving and accepting someone to yourself. But this isn't first about an act of receiving someone to your physical presence. This is a heart-level welcome of others here. So your translation may read, accept one another. We get a better sense of what this means in its context here. The command here gathers up and summarizes the topics of chapters 14 and 15 in Romans here. In fact, if you turn back and just look back to chapter 14, verse 1, you can see this word welcome is used there as well. It's Paul's main concern that Christians welcome one another. And it was a concern because the Christians of this church in Rome at this time were letting their differences divide them. They were all agreed on the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were all Christians following Jesus, part of the same church, but they were not letting this gospel that united them create an atmosphere of union and unity 
together at a deep practical level. So this church had a mix of Christians from different backgrounds in particular. Some Christians were from a Jewish background, and some Christians were from a non-Jewish or Greek or Gentile background, and they're all part of this church together, but they bring with them then different traditions. And so the Jewish Christians bring their traditions that they value regarding, especially in chapter 14 here, uh, certain foods and certain special days. And it's not a problem as far as it goes to have traditions like this, but those Jewish Christians who observed these traditions and cared about those started to judge those who didn't, to judge those Christians who didn't care to honor those traditions. And then those who didn't observe these traditions started to despise those who did. And so if you just scan through chapter 14, you'll see this repetition that Paul says, don't judge each other, don't despise each other. He calls these two groups the the weak and the strong for various reasons we won't get into now, but there's these two groups that have these issues here, and these different opinions and practices were creating a church culture of condemnation. They were united in Jesus, but then they're growing cold toward one another. So Paul urges them do not despise one another over these traditions, as important as you may feel that they are. Don't despise one another over these matters of preference. So that's his concern all the way through chapters uh, 14 and 15, and then he brings this exhortation to a culmination and summary in verse 7 of chapter 15 with three words, welcome one another. So this is about a heart level receiving of one another, not just passively putting up with each other with different preferences that people have. It's actively receiving people into your own heart and affections, even though you differ with them on various preferences and opinions. It's actively resisting emotions of aloofness or despising or condemning of other faithful believers. It's seeking to learn to love one another across differences and preferences. So here's what Paul's giving us here. He's giving us a key insight into how to maintain and cultivate a church culture of joyful unity. That's what this is doing here. The key is learning to distinguish between the relative importance of issues. It's learning to distinguish between things that really matter and are of central importance, and things that don't matter as much and shouldn't divide us, physically or emotionally. It's learning to distinguish between essentials and preferences. So one thing that churches need to do in light of this text to cultivate and maintain unity and joy together is what we can refer to and others refer to as theological and ethical triage. So I've talked about this before, so we won't go into detail about it here. We talk about that in our Discover ZF uh, membership course because it's so important, but I do want to keep bringing this up from time to time because of how important it is. A church cannot, I'm convinced, reflect the welcome of Christ if they don't learn this, and we have this together as a church. So this is a reinforcing reminder, a well done, and let's not lose this. And let's guard this all the more. And to whatever degree you personally do have to work on this and grow on this, let's receive the Spirit's work in light of this text then. 
So Paul's reminding them that there are certain doctrines and practices that are essential. They're non-negotiable. They're not debatable as far as openness to uh, freedom to, to disagree on these things if you're a Christian. <clears throat> but there are other doctrines and practices that are secondary or are matters of preference. And he's saying you're united together in the essentials, so don't divide over preferences. Right? If you're united in the essentials, then welcome one another. Receive one another into your hearts and affections and lives. Don't stay aloof from one another. Don't despise one another over these secondary issues and preferences. So think about it. Whenever you feel aloof from another Christian or a growing sense of looking down on them or condemning them, you have to ask this question. What, what are you bothered about and what level of importance is it really? So on what shelf is the issue that you're bothered about? Is it the top shelf with the essentials? Is it the second shelf with secondary matters? Or is it the third shelf, the bottom shelf, where there's preferences? So on the top shelf are these essential beliefs and practices. So this is anything that's bound up tightly with the gospel of Jesus and what it means to faithfully follow him. So these are the matters that are core beliefs. This is our church's statement of beliefs that we unite around. Uh, beliefs about God and salvation. There's also not just beliefs on this top shelf, but a number of ethical issues. Because to be a Christian isn't just to believe certain things rightly. It's to follow Jesus with your whole self. And so anything in the New Testament that is an unambiguous call for obedience. These are ethical issues that Jesus and the apostles are clear about. And that if you don't embrace them, you're not truly a follower of Jesus, or you can't claim to follow Jesus if you do not follow him in these areas of life. So that's the top shelf. The second shelf is areas of secondary beliefs and practices. So there's issues that are important, but maybe not essential. So we may disagree with sincere, faithful followers of Jesus on these matters. These would include differences about whether or not to uh, baptize infants, or different views about the role of men and women in leadership in the church and home, or different ways of understanding God's sovereignty in salvation and the doctrine of election. So, should we observe certain uh, practices or not in that shelf? That's a second shelf. But then there's also this third shelf on the bottom with many preferences. And that's what Paul is mainly addressing here in this section. So should we observe certain holidays or not? What musical style do you prefer? How long do you prefer sermons to be? There was this weird dust up on Twitter the past couple days between, uh, I think mainly pastors, but just, you know, how long should sermons be? And people are giving very precise answers. I did not weigh in. I don't think it matters that much, and there's a number of reasons, but we have opinions about this. Maybe you're thinking, should be about done. Um, how should people dress on Sundays? What are your views on various end times topics? Not like whether or not Jesus will return, that's a top shelf issue, but like what are all the details that will happen and how do you fill out the, the timeline? So here's why this matters for the command we're looking at 
this morning to welcome one another. Because you simply cannot obey Romans 15, 7, if you're not clear on this, in your own mind and heart. Because if you put everything on that top shelf, you will not welcome one another. You may think you do, but people will feel it. You will be aloof from those you disagree with about your preferences. You'll be just as passionate about your opinions as you are about gospel essentials. You'll fight to make sure everyone agrees with you about everything, and people won't bring up certain topics around you because they can feel your criticism or judgment of them. You'll become pretty insufferable, perhaps especially on social media. And a a church culture that is filled with this is suffocating and divisive. But if we get the order right, then we can celebrate our unity on the top shelf and give each other latitude on other issues. So when Paul says one another, he's talking here about the members of a local church. He's talking about those who agree on the essentials, those who are united to Jesus. And he's saying, if you're united to Jesus, you're united to each other. So let's refuse to criticize and despise each other over matters of preference and opinion. Now, the focus of this is this church unity. Of course, this doesn't mean we don't welcome all people in another sense. In fact, this is a big issue in our culture right now. There's this conflation of welcoming someone and approving of everything they do. So kind of our culture wants to say, welcome one another no matter what, and you, can, you don't even disagree on anything. There are, there's no top shelf issues um, here. Uh, but we extend the welcome of Christ. Jesus came and welcomed people, but he extended a welcome especially into his heart for those who repent and believe. There's a line you cross to become a Christian and enter into fellowship with him, and that welcome mat is there. It's open for all who will come to him. So there's a generous openness. Um, And then when people are united to Christ by faith, they enter into the church community, and then that's what Paul's talking about here. When you're in this community then, you welcome one another because you agree on these essentials. So, welcome one another. Second, as Christ has welcomed you. If you want to know what it really looks like to welcome one another, this is it. We look at how Jesus welcomed us. And how did he welcome us? Decisively, fully, wholeheartedly. He didn't wait until we had everything figured out. He doesn't wait until we agree with him on everything. And there's a lot of things that we, we have preferences and opinions on that we're pretty sure about that Jesus is thinking, well, it's just a matter of time and you'll see things my way. Right? He's the only one who can actually do that. Uh, we have to humbly adjust So he welcomes everyone who comes to trust him, repentance and faith. This word welcome is a way to summarize the doctrine of salvation in the book of Romans. It's a one-word summary of three realities that are true of us when we become Christians. We are loved, we're justified, and we're reconciled. Flip back to Romans 5. We could go all over the book of Romans to see this and a number of other things as well. But just look at Romans 5. These are clustered together here. And they summarize what this picture of Christ's welcome looks like. So first, we're loved. 
Romans 5, 5, says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So his love has been poured out. God's a fountain of love, and he pours out that generous love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. He overflows toward us. And then verse 8, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So the way that God shows his love is by giving his son for us. Thomas Goodwin wrote that the cross proves that God values us more than the world. Here's how he put it. He says, he said, God prizeth you, 1600s, God prizeth you above all the world. And he gave real testimony of this in giving his son, which was more than a thousand worlds. Jesus is worth more than a thousand worlds. And God gave his son for you because he treasures you above the world. Second, we've been justified. The next verse in verse 9. Since therefore we've been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So justification means that we've been accepted on terms of grace. We've been welcomed on terms of grace. Although we've been, we should be condemned for our sin, Jesus is condemned in our place and therefore we are declared righteous, decisively welcomed and accepted. Martin Luther would say we need to step out into every day with this pronouncement over us, trusting it. You are accepted. You are welcome. Isn't one of the pervasive issues in our world this sense of alienation, this sense of being an imposter, this sense of being an outsider? When you come to Christ, you now have this umbrella over you, declared, declaring over you, you are accepted. You are welcome, decisively and fully into the heart of the eternal God. Third, we've been reconciled. This is relational. This is verse 11. We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've now received reconciliation. So God hasn't just declared us righteous, forgiven us of our sins, and then pushed us to the side, out of sight, because he doesn't actually love us. No, he's reconciled us to himself. He's brought us into friendship with himself. We were his enemies, and he adopts us as sons and daughters into his family. He's welcomed us irrevocably, not just abstractly into his kingdom, but relationally to his very life and heart. And all of this happened to us when we were the least deserving. It says he loved us when we were enemies. He accepted us when we were weak and ungodly. He adopted us when we're sinners. This is the welcome of Christ. A wholehearted, gracious acceptance. Not an eye-rolling, foot-tapping, impatient waiting for us to get our act together. He took the initiative. He received us to himself. We just come. He said, come to me. We receive him and come to him with repentance and faith to receive this welcome. And so Paul's saying, back to Romans 15, 7, Christ has welcomed you. If you are trusting in Christ, he has welcomed you personally. If you're not trusting him, 
He invites you to receive his welcome and to come to him. And the point here is to show us what it looks like to then extend that welcome to one another so that we begin to reflect the very welcome of Christ. The point is that Christ has welcomed you like this. So you now welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Jesus' welcome can shape the tone of a church family. It's intended to shape the tone, create a whole new atmosphere together as a church. When we experience the relational climate of a church, it should feel something like the liberating welcome of Christ. Now, very personally, there is one barrier to this dynamic happening in our lives. I mean, there's a number of them, but here's one of them. If we're going to extend this welcome, we have to personally receive it. And I'm not just talking about receiving it like becoming a Christian, like knowing that you received it at one point in the past. I'm talking about this living in the reality of it because his, his acceptance is a moment-by-moment ongoing reality. And so we open ourselves up to that and receive that, and it's actually from that dynamic of receiving it that we receive a psychological and emotional transformation in such a way that we then gladly, naturally, supernaturally extend that to others. So maybe some of you do not feel deeply the welcome of Christ, or you haven't in a while. You don't feel his welcome, and so that's perhaps even what's keeping you from extending that welcome to others. Some of you may be thinking, I get that he's welcoming. I get that that's what it means to be a Christian, is to be welcomed by him, but I'm not sure he really feels that toward me, that it's a warm, wholehearted welcome, like right now. Some of you may be thinking, um, maybe there's degrees, I'm sure some people feel that, but I, I got like a little, I got like a lowercase w welcome from Jesus. You might be thinking, I'm not smart. And that's just really shaped your identity going through life and just feeling like you're just behind other people. So what this text says is, Jesus welcomes you. You may think, I'm not good at anything. Well, the welcome of Jesus is not conditioned on your performance. You may be thinking, I've sinned massively even after he's welcomed me. Surely this puts me out of his favor. Jesus died for sinners. Say, but I'm a failure. Jesus accepts failures. You say, but I'm disabled. Well, read the gospel stories. Jesus was drawn to the disabled. You say, I've ignored him and been ashamed of him. I'm ashamed to identify with him. His disciples fled when he was crucified, when he needed their friendship most. And after he was raised, he came to them. He called them his brothers, and he said three times, peace to you. You could say, I've taken advantage of people financially. Well, Jesus pursued eating with shady tax collectors of his day. You say, I've mocked Christians. Jesus overflowed with grace and kindness toward the Apostle Paul, who was seeking to arrest them that they might get put to death. 
This is the welcome of Christ. He welcomes us. He loves us. He justifies us. He reconciles us. And nothing qualifies us for it. We just receive it. And now that we receive it, we live in this moment by moment. We readjust our emotional state to live in the reality of this. And then that sets a new tone around us from the way we look at each other, what happens with our face when we see each other, how we use our time with one another. I've shared over the years how much I've been impacted by the um, Puritan pastor Thomas Goodwin, noted him just a moment ago. The first thing I read from him was this book called The Heart of Christ, and it's incredible. Here's the full title. The Puritans always had long, longer titles. This is The Heart of Christ in Heaven Towards Sinners on Earth. And his argument in this book is that Christ is not aloof from us now that he's exalted into heaven. It's not like we see his acceptance of sinners and his welcome of people in his earthly ministry, but now he's risen and exalted, and so he's in his glorified state and reigning. He's kind of emotionally aloof from us. No, if anything, he's more heartfelt connected to us. And so it's not just that he abstractly accepts us, the doctrine of justification. It's that he personally welcomes us. And so here's what Romans 15, 7 is saying in light of that. The welcome of Christ that we experience vertically is meant to be expressed to one another horizontally. We receive the smile of Christ on us from heaven, and then we extend that smile toward others in all of life. The tone that Jesus sets for us in the gospel is meant to set the tone of our relationships together in the church, which means that, back to what we've been seeing all along, no matter of mere preference should get in the way of this. No racial and ethnic difference should hinder our welcome toward one another. If we are united in the essentials, this is too wonderful of a reality to give up for the sake of reveling in our preferences over against one another. So, this is moving to the last phrase, for the glory of God. This is the ultimate reason why it matters that every church has this culture of welcome. Our goal is not to be liked more. It's not merely because we want lots of friends and this is the best tip for how you can go about winning friends and influencing people. It's not merely because we hope our church grows. It's ultimately because this is how God is glorified. So the two words that the Bible uses and images the Bible uses most often to refer glory. So what does it mean to glorify God? What's the glory of God? The two ideas that capture that most are radiance and weightiness. So radiance, beauty, and weightiness value, significance. God's glory is His radiance and His weightiness. And Paul is saying that this is how the world can see His beauty and value. They see it in a church that experiences and extends the welcome of Christ to one another, because the welcome of Christ is the beauty of God seen in the world. It shows the glory of God, and when the glory of God comes upon us, it changes us to reflect it. And now people see and experience 
this transformed community of kindness that they cannot and have not seen anywhere else on the planet. Not as deep as it can happen here. And truly, it's especially seen when the world sees Christians love and accept one another in spite of differences. We accept one, or, one another even if we disagree on secondary matters. Now, we have to address first-order issues. So this isn't just a, hey, unity for the sake of unity at all costs. It's always unity in the truth, which means why part of the church community involves gentle, loving confrontation and rebuke when necessary. Because sin and doctrinal deviation and heresy will threaten the unity of the church, right? It, it, it will uh, threaten that those first shelf issues. But as we align and agree on those first order issues, then we welcome one another in light of differences even on these other issues. We accept one another even when someone has deeply disappointed us. A community that reflects the welcome of Christ shows the world the glory of God. It also shows the world where all of history is heading. Uh, in the next verses, Paul shows that all of history is heading toward people that were very different, Jews and Gentiles, joined together, praising God. Look at verses 8 and 9. He says, I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, to the Jewish people, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. So the Old Testament, he's saying, was pointing forward to this coming new creation with this multi-ethnic unity and praise. It forward, pointed forward to a time when Jews and Gentiles would be united across differences and they would be praising God for his mercy. So that's where all of history is headed. And Paul is saying that's where all of history is headed and this unity and praise of God for His mercy across differences has already started. It's begun now. And so enjoy it, receive it, reflect it, celebrate it. So a few implications as we wrap up. I think four. Say so number one, um, we extend the welcome of Christ in our gatherings, Sunday gatherings like this one. This is why uh, this is underneath why I so often and we so often encourage one another to come early and linger longer and to do this in order to engage with one another, to welcome one another, to show our acceptance of one another, to encourage one another. Because the vision of the church here is very different than a bunch of strangers coming together immediately on time, sitting next to each other in a pew, and then leaving. This is a relationally thick, shared life of friendship vision of what a church can look like. And so we engage together, we welcome one another, we praise God together for His mercy, and that shows His glory. It's what we're saved to enjoy. And so each one of us has the privilege to enjoy this and cultivate this. So if you're membered with our church, then one of the great privileges and sacred responsibilities that you have is to guard this kind of culture of welcome and to contribute to it and to cultivate it, to model it for one another, to extend the welcome of Christ for another. So, um, well done for coming early and lingering longer, and I encourage you to do it all the more. Or if you don't tend to do that, uh, please do, because we want to be reminded of the welcome of Christ when we come, and then we want to extend that to one another. So, look for someone 
who's lonely. Look for someone who can use the welcome of Christ extended to them. When you, when you experience a culture of welcome, praise God for it because he's done this work and it's for his glory. So let's keep experiencing that together in our Sunday gathering, in our small group gatherings, in relationships through the week, in true friendship. Second, we extend the welcome of Christ across ethnic and cultural differences. One of the issues Paul is addressing here is concerns about how ethnic and cultural differences can get in the way of this kind of unity and welcome. So these Jewish Christians liked their traditions regarding food and special days, and the Gentile Christians didn't care about it. And these differences came from ethnic and cultural and religious backgrounds that were different. And Paul is saying, this is a secondary matter, so welcome one another in light of these differences even. So we live in a nation where ethnic and cultural differences can create massive divisions. And any church that is a majority of one kind of culture needs to be sensitive to others who are not the same. And so each of us should be aware of differences and extend eagerly, instantly, the welcome of Christ to one another. So when you see a brother or a sister in Christ who is different than you, let your first thought be, how can I extend the welcome of Christ to this person? And this is how the church can be the most powerful force in a nation like ours for unity. Because it means we don't just passively tolerate each other, we actively welcome one another. We pursue friendship with one another across differences. We refuse to be aloof to a brother or sister whom Christ has welcomed. Third, we extend the welcome of Christ across generations. So one of the ways that a church is to embrace diversity is across generations. We often see churches that are clustered together around different age groups, and sometimes that's just a demographic reflection of the community they're in, but very often it's because we can tend to cluster around people who are like us and cluster around people that share the same preferences and therefore create churches that are mainly young or mainly old. And so we aspire as a church uh, to reflect our community as best we can and those whom God has um, put here, and so we want to celebrate unity across age differences. And so this means that we need to actively continue to welcome one another across age differences. Because there are a lot of differences across generations, isn't there? I mean, some of the massive divides in our country are plotted along generational lines. And so there's difference not just in age generations, but just all the preferences that go with these things and all the cultural differences that go with these things. So we want to actively get to know one another, pursue one another in true friendship. And I know some of you model this so well, so this is an encouragement to do this all the more, not lose sight of it. And this can also be a unity across generations in terms of generations across time or history in a church. So some of you have been here from the earliest years of Zionsville Fellowship in the 80s. Some of you have come somewhere in the middle. Some of you have been here for just a few months or a few years. And my guess is that there are differences between preferences and expectations and values that we have, even if we're the same age, but we're just coming from different church backgrounds and have different preferences that we experience. And so we have an opportunity then to get to know one another, celebrate one another, honor one another, and extend the welcome of Christ to one another. Finally, 
we extend the welcome of Christ to other faithful churches. So you may not like some things that are done at other churches. You may not like some of the things that are done at our church. Most people tend to wish their church was more like their previous one, and many people choose a church over other churches because they align with some of their preferences, and then they can feel um, entitled for those preferences to stay that way because I'm here because of that preference and what happened to it. And so this means there's going to be all sorts of preferences that are different and differences in music, the role of fog machines, lighting, sound, tone, service length, the personality of those people uh, who are leading. Romans 15:7 says this, do not let those preferences keep you from a wholehearted welcome of one another. Do not despise other churches and criticize other churches over matters of preference. If it's a true and faithful church, then you're united around the essentials. That doesn't mean there's no place to talk through wisdom about matters, but this is about welcoming one another in Christ and not despising one another. So, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Can we say it? Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your endless, overflowing, eternal love for us and your decisive, irrevocable welcome of us in Christ to your very heart. We thank you that you have given us a taste of this welcome of one another in this church community. And so we praise you for it. We thank you that from our perception, we don't have to start from square one. We don't have to hear this verse and wonder what in the world this could mean for us. You have given this to us and we've enjoyed this and we're thankful for it and we want it all the more. So Lord, please work in our hearts in whatever ways you need to, to help us to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.